Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfree shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts, starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others, but yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early, with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now, adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Today's episode of the Kurt Angle Show is brought to you by Geico, who asks, how would you love a chance to save more money on your car insurance? Of course you would. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. The recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. This is Kurt Angle, and welcome to The Kurt Angle Show. On the show today, we have a former WWE writer, now a big-time Hollywood producer, and soon-to-be best-selling author. But first, let me introduce to you my co-host, Paul Brownwell. How are you doing today, Paul? Kurt, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this. Ever since you emailed me and told me that we were going to have Brian on the show. Uh, <laughs> but hey, real quick before we jump in, man, it was great seeing you last weekend at Icons of Wrestling. We got to have a good time and hang out for a little bit. And, uh, man, just great connecting with you. Yeah, it was great having you there, Paul. I really appreciate you coming by. Well, hey, enough about that. Let's jump into it, buddy, because uh, you said it. Let's, uh, let's introduce our guest. All right. He's the author of There's Just One Problem, True Tales from the Former One-Time Seven Most Powerful Person in WWE, Brian Gewurz. How you doing today, Brian? Kurt, great to see you. <laughs> You You too, man. I miss you, brother. Miss your writing. Same, same. (laughs) Oh my God. I've been, um, you know, as you know, I've been, you know, I've been doing, promoting this book, doing some podcasts and I find myself down the Kurt Angle uh, story well so many times, you know, because (laughs) as, as you know, as we both know very well, it's like, you know, yes, we couldn't have come from different backgrounds. You know, I was as as documented in uh, high school yearbooks and whatnot, you know, on the high school bowling team senior year. I did have that athletic, uh, you know, feather in my cap. 
until I injured myself halfway through. I think it was a fall injury, but it affected the bowling, obviously. So I was out. You had a slightly more successful athletic career than me. A little but, bit. Yeah. But the, the, the bottom line is you debuted at, at Survivor Series 1999, you know, as far as, you know, obviously you had been training and dark matches and everything else. Right. Um, as far as professional wrestling. But Survivor Series 1999 was my first pay-per-view. Yes, it was. Uh, awesome. It was, you know, on the job, at least. So, you know, we we kind of came in together at the same time. We were kind of like. Yes, we did. It was it was like a godsend. It was supposed <laughs> to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brian, before we uh, we get moving here, because we got a lot of fun to talk about today. I thought we could ground the audience a little bit. What's your first memory of the wrestling business as a fan? So it's a great question. Like the, the big moment for me, and I write about it in the book too, you know, cause I, I was, I was born, I was the, in the perfect age to become a fan during the rock and wrestling era. So I was 11 years old when all of a sudden the land of a thousand dances video was on MTV and, and the Goonies video was on MTV and I was planted watching it. And I just remember you know, the war to settle the score on MTV, which was Piper versus Hogan in Madison Square Garden. Um, and it was I mean, I was mesmerized because I had, you know, I'd seen I'd seen some pro wrestling illustrated and seen some, you know, WWF at the time superstars in the mornings and stuff. But the war to settle the score, it was the first time I had ever seen a ref bump. That was that blew my mind. I like, you know, because never in any other sport, you know, if an umpire gets taken out, a football, you know, if like it's just so rare and and they'll stop and attend to the official. They don't right. keep playing. They don't keep like the action doesn't keep going and like, oh, that's for him. All right. Well, anyway, what's happening? Like that blew my mind. And then Cindy Lauper on the apron and yes. Mr. T coming out of the crowd while Hogan's on a cell and Piper and Orndorff are doing that slow stalking her into the corner. Like that absolutely, I mean, perfect age, 11 years old, perfect time to be sucked in. Uh, and since then I was hooked. Wow, Brian, that's a great story. <laughs> hey, Jack in the Box was your first gig out of college, correct? And do you owe having a WWE job to your cousin? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, Jack in the Box was your first gig out of the WWE, am I correct? So, so Jack, that's, that's, it's partially correct. So, okay. so let me, yeah, let me, let me backtrack. So right. Jack in the box was my last job before WWE. Ah. Um, and what happened was, you know, I was, Oh, fortunate. I thought it was your first gig out of college. No. Oh no, no. It was, I was a production assistant um, at right out of college on a, on a show on CBS called almost perfect with Nancy Travis. And okay. And after that, I was lucky enough, my writing partner and I got staffed on a couple of shows. But once that once the second show, uh, which was Jenny McCarthy, Jenny on NBC, got canceled, we didn't again, my writing partner, and I didn't uh, you know, we didn't get a gig immediately. Right. We were out of work for, you know, uh, close to, if not slightly over a year. Wow. And at that point, it was like, what are we going to do? We saw this ad in the LA times to like meet fun people and eat free food. And we're like, <laughs> I don't, we really don't like fun people, but we like free food. Yeah. So, you know, we answered it and it was to go to this, we didn't know what it was, but it was a, uh, you know, it was this airport hotel in Burbank 
And there were a lot of, let's say, colorful characters there. Um, and you were working, it was for Jack in the Box. And they wanted what, what they didn't term, but I term fast food spies, which means they wanted people to like, you know, as customers walk in, see how friendly the service is, if the napkin dispensers are okay. full, how long it takes mm. to get your order, if the bathrooms are clean, like sit in the bushes with a stopwatch timing the cars going from window to window. <laughs> And it's like, wow, I am in the fast food espionage business now. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Um, and then just right before, because you have to go through training. You don't, just not anyone can walk off. You have the to train for Jack in the Box. You have to train for the espionage, yeah. <laughs> and there were a lot of people that were rejected. I, I kind of saw it as a badge of honor that I made the next cut. Um, and then literally right before that, that the first gig was going to start, that's when my sister, who was interning at MTV, called me and said, there's an opportunity for you to write specials for MTV uh -huh. uh, for the WWE SummerSlam specials 1999. So I, I let the, I turned in my stopwatch. Um, they were very disappointed. They're like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's yeah, that was like the last stop. You know, sometimes and again, no offense to Jack in the Box or anything like that. Um, but it was like, yeah, it was like that was the right before things were like, what is happening to my life? Um, before I could do that, I got the MTV gig. So it wasn't your cousin. It was your sister. Well, yeah, there was. A, it's easy to get confused because there was a lot. There's a lot of family involved here. My uncle okay. helped my sister get the internship at MTV. And okay. then my sister called me um, and, and then we got it. But um, gotcha. And then, All right, we just had it. We had it mixed up. It's not yeah. your cousin; it's your sister. <laughs> yes. So the only downside of of losing the espionage gig was giving up all that free food. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah. No. And and for me, because again, I looked as Kurt knows, I looked like I was sixteen at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, they they had like the special mission for me. They wanted me to like drive down to Calabasas or whatever. And there are certain rest stops with that had Jack in the Box and gas station mini marts. So they wanted me to order beer to see if I got carded. So like <laughs> nice. that was, and, and this was, you know, this was like after the first mission impossible. Like I really did feel like I was going on a very, very, um, you know, specific kind Covert. of, mission. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have been fun. Uh, to try. So, so we get through Jack in a box, you're done your espionage work, your mission impossible. You start to do some stuff now with the WWE, who, by the way, at 11 years old, you fell in love with the business. How intimidating was it for you to be brought in, or was it, to join the WWE? It, it was both. You know, in, um, you know, as Kurt knows, there's, a, there's kind of a, there's a split between the road and the office. Um, and when I was in the office, you know, it's a very, very closed environment. And even though we're pitching you know, to Vince McMahon. And by the way, we first didn't even start in the office because when I first started, um, you know, there were two writers, me and another writer, Tommy Blacha, who, you know, Kurt, um, yes. he had just come over from Conan and um, late night with Conan O'Brien, not uh, Conan, the wrestler. And, um, you know, we were, we never went to the office. We, we were told, write your ideas down, type them up, fax them to Vince's office and show up to TV and see if he uses them. And I'm like, that's pretty great. I mean, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do for five days a week, but that sounds good. Um, and so, but when we were, you know, and by office, I mean like in a small room pitching ideas 
even if it was to Vince, I, I, I was always very comfortable in that environment, in the closed mm. space environment. Mm. It was when you were out in the wild and the wild being the WWE locker room. That's when it was pretty intimidating. And that's when it was like being um, around the boys, right? Holy around shit. the boys, because, you know, I think it was pretty obvious from an, from from just pure sight. As Ron Simmons told Chris Jericho, uh, who let that kid inside? Should we get security? <laughs> and that was like, like literally, that's what he said. And that was like uh, kind of what I was dealing with. And, and but all of a sudden, it's like not only is this lucky child working for wwe but he's writing with vince mcmahon and has the pencil and is like one of two people on the creative team it's me and tommy and you know shane and stephanie and and vince all traveling together so it's kind of like that uh i don't know like the the kid from the twilight zone who everyone is like you know wants to destroy but is also kind of has this power <laughs> that uh, <laughs> so they don't want to piss him off. So yeah, <laughs> right. it took a while, but that's also, you know, why it was so for my psyche and, and for my well being to be able to like, just immediately befriend you, Kurt, you know, mm. from the outset, because yeah. you know, if anyone had the uh, right to say, who the hell is this guy who hurt himself on this high school bowling team? Get him away. From <laughs> it would be you, but you didn't do that. You know, you embraced me and these crazy ideas and everything right from the get go. So I, I'm so appreciative of that. Sure, Brian. Hey, speaking of the boys, did any wrestlers give you any shit about being a writer? No, there was, you know, <laughs> it was, you know, kind of, I mean, obviously, it culminated, as you know, in, in in what the first chapter of the book is, Wrestling Court, when I had violated too many, to me, unknown locker room rules that, you know, to them, to they have to have an intervention. The crazy thing, Brian, is I want to tell Paul this. You didn't yeah. know about all this shit. This, this was all new to you. So this was yeah. like crazy. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. But, you know, I remember... <laughs> And, you know, I'll, I'll pick on uh, I'll pick out Billy Gunn for a second. And Billy Gunn is awesome. And he uh, he was recently, you know, in the audience for the Titan Games that you know are showing NBC from a few years ago uh, and, and that Dwayne hosted and, and had some fun interaction with him and everything. Uh, and that's the that's the good thing. It's like I really, truly, truly like ninety nine percent of even the people in wrestling and the boys and stuff that, you know, I had, quote unquote, heat with back in the day. I get along with great now. Um, so I remember though, early on, this was, this was, you know, during the, who ran over stone cold post, uh, survivor okay. series. Show. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Pittsburgh actually, where I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, loosen, you know, the, I'm going to come out of my shell. I'm going to just act like a director. Uh, and it was a big vignette, backstage vignette pre-taped with DX. And so I just walked right in and was like, all right, everybody, here's what we're going to do. Police are going to interview you. They're going to interrogate you. You tell them off. Blocking wise, you guys will be here. You guys will be there. You know, we'll have the camera set up here. We'll pan over there. I'm like, wow, I'm kicking ass. I'm killing this. <laughs> anybody have any questions at all before we shoot? And Billy Gunn goes, yeah, I got one. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Billy. Like, you know what? Maybe. Uh, that, that's grumpy Billy Gunn. Definitely. Yeah, that's probably Billy Gunn. But to Billy's, you know, to his credit, it's like. Yeah, I probably should have, even though it was probably my fifth week on the job then, you know, come in, shook everyone's hand, right. made eye contact, all the things that, you know, normal, normal behavior, you're supposed to do that anyway. 
but you're especially supposed to do that in a WWE locker room. But, you know, I didn't. And, and it wasn't because I'm better than these people. It just was like, you know, I'm kind of shy and didn't want to, uh, right. you know, I put myself out there, really. Um, yeah, so. your shyness made you look like an asshole. It's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> but, Brian, I did the same thing. I didn't know you had to shake everybody's hand when I came, first came in. And I got shipped from Shane McMahon. He said, listen, you have to shake everybody's hand and say hello. And and when someone says thank you, you don't say you're welcome. You say thank you back. Yes. And I never understood that. But, you know, that's how you have, that's what you have to do in pro wrestling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, what seems obvious needs to be instilled in you. Um, and, and I think Paul Heyman was the one who who told me about the handshake stuff. You know, when he he came you know, about a year and a half into my tenure. So I really could have, you know, stood to uh, learn that earlier um, right. or at least be self-aware enough to pick up on it. But it's like, oh, no, I saw I saw him earlier. We did a whole, you know, we did the whole nod thing. Um, he's like, not the same. <laughs> not, don't not work, buddy. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, so listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about the whole term writer, because for whatever reason, it's a it gets a negative vibe or connotation from fans. Why do you think that is, Brian? Um, I think, you know, it, it, a lot of it just has to do with, well, there's very many reasons, I guess, you know, if I'm thinking kind of talking out loud, a lot of it, you know, if you watch wrestling pre, you know, attitude era, really, um, the business survived just fine without writers and talent flourished. And if you like, look at a promo going off, you know, I'll, I'll take my hero, Roddy Piper, you know, Piper cutting a promo on the war to settle the score or even before he joined WWF, he was cutting classic promos um, you know, playing Cucaracha on the bagpipes in Mexico. I mean, <laughs> stuff. Um, and then when you juxtapose that with especially during, you know, the, the PG publicly traded company heavily scripted era where mm -hmm. it looks like wrestlers are, you know, reciting lines like it's a third grade book report. And you go, oh, my God, you know, it's like you have this vision, <laughs> not thinking, oh, well, that's what the chairman of the company is dictating. And, and you know, everyone is kind of following suit because that's what, you know, is being asked, uh, you know, and they're being very cognizant of advertisers and timing and all that kind of thing. Uh, no, what they're thinking is some some Hollywood asshole is coming in. <laughs> Saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, wrestler. Anyways, say this brilliant stuff, and you better say a word for word, otherwise you're going to get in trouble. And you know, they, if you don't know any better, you have that. You know, it's easy to think that's what's going on. You know, right, but right. writers, WWE writers, um, the last thing they want to do is hand someone a piece of paper and say, "Do it word for word." No one wants to do that. They like to right. collaborate. Um, yeah. Word is an anomaly, I think. Because when Kurt first started, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, I've been saying this all over, but when you first first started, you actually preferred, you were one of like the 2% of yep. wrestlers actually preferred <laughs> to get their promo written word for word. Word for word. And I could do the whole promo word for word. You're right. <laughs> Kurt's attitude was like, I've got a 20 minute match to do, like five backstage vignettes to do. I am a machine. I'm a human machine. If you give me this paper, I will compute it into my, <laughs> and I, you know, the miracle you're, you know, with no like performing experience and that, that nature perform it so well and so flawlessly and so comedic and everything. But it's like, it wasn't until, you know, years later 
as you got more comfortable too, that that became more of a collaborative thing. And then ultimately, right. like much, much later, it was like, yeah, just give me, I, I got it, I'll, you know. I'll, I'll <laughs> right. yeah. But at the beginning, it was, yeah, that was the relationship. You, you touched yeah. on it. Kurt, I got to jump in here real quick because you, ahead, touched, you touched on it when you were working on early with Kurt. How much did it blow you away, though? How quickly Kurt, who just was a you know amateur wrestler and gold medal winner, was able to acclimate so quickly to what you were doing for him, recite it, the delivery? It had to blow you away what Kurt was able to do. No, there was, I mean, again, not because this is your show or anything, but, you know. You, <laughs> he won't you know, ask. I will. There was, there's nobody like him. I mean, I, there really isn't anyone who can come in from, you know, especially from the Olympic amateur world um, and just, you know, take to it so quickly, you know, like with all due respect to Robert Redford, like, dude, you were the natural, like, you came <laughs> in, like the, the wrestling, like, boom, you've got it. The promos, boom, the comedic stuff. You know, I recall us, you know, running around the campus of Penn State. Oh, God. For abstinence. <laughs> stuff that you can't not do now at all. But, you know, Kurt is promoting abstinence with a big, like, you know, placard sign. And what was the line we gave? You know, you handed a college student a lollipop and was like, oh, what do they say? Something? suck on this yeah. like just like completely inappropriate stuff that was you know of that era and everything um and just but not doing it like it's, it would be so easy and we've seen so many people come in you know because because wrestlers are, are not you know uh the performers but some you know take to it in terms of acting and, and and timing and everything really well and others don't and to see kurt do that um, it's like, wow, there's literally nothing he can't do. It's insane. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Hey, we got to go back to the beginning. Were you really not allowed in the NCI center your first day because you look like a 16 year old fan? Is that, that is, true? That is true. That is totally true. <laughs> what I, happened? I, um, I had a little folder of, and I printed out an email from Vince's office, his assistant at the time, basically saying, and it wasn't even saying let this person in. It was like, you'll go to the MCI center, you'll get to the arena at 11 o'clock, um, and then go into the production office and get your credentials. But the problem was, apparently, you need credentials before you get to the production office oh, okay. in okay. order to get into the building. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I want, and I showed up extra early, too. It was my first show. I didn't want to, uh, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was be late. So, yeah, I'm standing out there. I'm like, I'm here for work. And they're like, who are you? Um, you know, <laughs> to quote Billy Gunn, who the fuck are you? Um, and, you know, like, yeah, no. Because, uh, by the way, I didn't have a cell phone back then. You know, I didn't get my right. cell phone. Yeah. Um, so there was like no, there was no real reason for me for to be allowed into the building. Um, right. I didn't have, you know, any real credentials. You don't have credentials, yeah. No, so, um, you know, Sean Selman, who worked, uh, you know, backstage at WWE, they called him to come out because I wasn't, I couldn't leave. I mean, that would have been a disaster. (laughs) Uh, And afterwards, like, finally, I like found, you know, my my piece of paper from Vince's office and he looked at it and was like, all right, let him in. And uh, (laughs) that's how I finally got into the building. You did, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh. Did you go to Geico.com yet? Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So, Brian, I want to continue on. Were you worried that since you had some inside knowledge of the business, it would be held against you either by Vince, others on the staff, or the talent? As far as, like, during my time there? Yeah, during your time there, you know, usually, typically, Vince has looked for, you know, outside people, written for soap operas, this, that, the other thing. You were a fan. You knew the business. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was, um, you know, I, that, that, you know, to go back to your previous question too, that is also a misnomer, um, that WWE is looking for non-fans to work on their show. I would say the most successful writers, um, the creative team members, what have you are gigantic fans. Right. Um, cause you need that knowledge, that, that base of knowledge. You know, I, I was talking about this, uh, with, with Ed Kosky the other day. Uh, who's who's a longtime writer there now, one of the lead writers and has been there since his first day on the job was Kurt's match with Shane at King of the Ring 2001. 2001, yeah. And, you know, the way, you know, he described it, which is very apt, is like you don't need to be able to recite every Royal Rumble winner, but you need to know what the Royal Rumble is and how it relates to the grand scheme of things within the, you know, WWE. So... Yeah, there's like, you know, when I remember when we were interviewing writers, we hoped that you knew okay. who the uh, wrestlers were because it makes our jobs easier. Sure. We don't have to sit back. Now, if you're going in and being like, I'm going to blow them away with all this insider talk and like, you know, the smart marks are going to like this. But eventually, you know, when the gimmick hits the thing and the cafe, you know, and like all that kind of stuff, <laughs> then you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because we're just counting the second before, you know, when you're talking about all the subscriptions to all the newsletters you've had since like 1992, it's like, you know, I don't know if, you know, is this person going to be like, you know, spilling his guts out on a, you know, on a show like, you know, or during while he's employed, he or she's employed. So it helps to be a fan. You know, there have been maybe a handful, less than a handful of quote unquote soap opera writers and Hollywood people uh, who come into WWE with really no knowledge and have attained any level of success. And the reason they've attained success is because they put the work in and they dedicated themselves to learning about the business and the characters and taking all the shit on the road and everything. Uh, But for the most part, being able to have that base of knowledge and fandom because fandom, you know, equals passion. And if you're passionate and want to, you know, really, really um, hit the ground running and make an impression that's going to work in your favor. So yeah, uh, there was no, there was no resentment. In fact, the first day on the job, when I met Stephanie, I said something, you know, I, I, as Kurt knows, I um, say stupid things on a <laughs> regular basis. Um, and as she's, I'm being introduced to her and, you know, she's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. Hey, I'm just, I'm just glad you weren't sacrificed to the undertaker this week or said something stupid like that. <laughs> and her reaction was, Oh, you're a fan. Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to explain to you oh, who Sergeant good. Slaughter is over here and yeah. Tony Korea and all the people working backstage. You just know that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, actually. Hey, Brian, did you always have a knack for comedy? You know, it was something um, it was something I, I wanted to do 
because, you know, my uncle, you know, as we talked about a little bit, my uncle was a sitcom writer um, and a very successful one. So he wrote, he was a writer on, on the show Taxi and he wrote all the Latka episodes with his uh, writing partner. So all the Andy Kaufman Latka episodes on Taxi wow. were so cool. written by him. In fact, there's an episode, uh, a pretty famous episode, The Wedding of Latka and Simka, uh, where they need someone, you know, because of their, you know, uh, um, you know, made up imaginary country. They need someone to propose uh, on Latka's behalf. And it was Judd Hirsch. And they uh, called Judd Hirsch's, you know, role in that episode, the Gewurzel. Uh, you know, taking <laughs> our last name. So, yeah, if you go watch that episode on Taxi, you'll see. Like, you grab the nose of the Gewurzel. Um, and, you know, as a, as a kid watching that, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Hearing your name on TV, right? Yeah. Hearing my name on TV. And my uncle would do that all the time. There was like another, you know, less successful show. There was a show with Martin Mull, uh, you know, the comedian, uh, called Domestic Life. And there's an opening credit sequence. You could see it on YouTube and he's driving in his car and he's waving to the neighborhood, all the people. And at one point he passes a truck, a diaper truck. That says Gewurz Diaper Service. <laughs> and again, I don't know if my uncle did that just to pop me as a kid watching at home and everything, but I always thought that was so freaking cool. Um, and then, you know, when, and then of course, like, um, you know, just, just being like constantly watching television and then yeah. constant current television. And then Nick at night, you know, you could watch the old SNLs. You know, I'd listen to, I'd go to the library and, you know, uh, listen to George Carlin tapes and Steve Martin tapes and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was something, you know, I wanted to do uh, fairly, you know, early in life and thought I was going to do for for pretty much my entire career until uh, it took a little detour. <laughs> yes, were, you did. <laughs> who were some of your favorite? You, you brought it up. SNL. Were you, were you a fan of the years of uh, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Kevin Nealon? Or what, you, what was that kind of era that you really got? Yeah, you know, they always say your favorite uh, SNL cast is the one that you went to high school with. Yes. So I went to high school from 91 through 95. And that was in the like the peak Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, Mike Myers, who's my favorite. Adam uh, Sandler. He was like a little, Young. yeah, kind of towards the Just middle, yeah, towards the, in, more in college. Um, okay. was the Sandler and Farley, um, you know, Jan Hooks, like all these great, like classic <sighs> yes. performers. Um, and then, yeah, in college, it was the Sandler, Farley, Spade and everything. And then, you know, it came full circle there, during our guest host era when John Lovitz uh, hosted, you know, Monday Night Raw. So <laughs> yeah. it was pretty cool to talk to him. I had him sign my Rat Race DVD. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was like, and that was probably the most that was probably, you know, wrestling purist. The John, if you ever want to find like, what is what is the one episode that probably wrestling purists would hate the most and sure there's a lot to choose from granted but that john lovitz episode um we had we had a writer of you know sadly he's, he's since passed away but he had a glass eye and he took the eye out in the oh, interview God. and it was mm-hmm. like done you're hired you, we got it <laughs> you gotta um, and we put him on the show because like Lovitz was like hosting a talent show. So we had the writer, you know, do I thing on the show. We had another writer, Dave Kapoor, who 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 doubled as the great Khali's, you know, liaison on screen, Ranjan Singh. For some reason, we had them in like a top hat 
and Kane singing, putting on the Ritz. Um, <laughs> it was like, honestly, I'm like working backstage on the serious promo that night. I wasn't doing the guest host stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hear like Kali and Kapoor practicing, putting on the Ritz. There are other writer pulling out his glass eye. Like John that. Lovett's going around going, why are we shooting? You know, and it was like, <laughs> Like this is the Muppet Show. I've I've, I've now the entered Muppet, Muppet Show. show. <laughs> then later the Muppet uh, Show. So, yeah, it became- I love it. So, was writing for the WWE your dream job? One hundred percent, no. It was. <laughs> I never thought I'd write for WWE. It never was on the radar. Even during the height of the Attitude Era, you know, in you know, from ninety seven through ninety nine, I went to plenty of shows and was a huge fan. And we'd watch the pay-per-views. I was literally, you know, cause it was in Anaheim. I was at Royal Rumble uh, 1999 in January with the rock and Mick Foley. Um, there's actually, this is crazy. There's actually um, a scene in the movie beyond the mat where, you know, Mick's wife and kids are watching from the crowd, if you recall, and they're getting so traumatized by just the brutality of, of the match that they get up and leave. And as they're getting up and leaving, if you go back and watch it, they pass me and my goofy friends because we're on the floor as fans. We bought we got tickets (laughs) and we're watching the show. So, like, I'm looking up, I'm wearing my Jesse Ventura, my governor could beat up your governor T-shirt that I ordered (laughs) on a website. And as we I remember watching that movie in the theater with my friends who were there and we're like, oh, wait a minute. There we are for some reason. (laughs) <laughs> um, but no, it wasn't the dream job. It was once I got there, it became like a great job. Um, and, and one that I'm very, very glad I took, but prior to joining WWE, it was not a goal of mine ever to, to write for them, nor was it an aspiration. It was just something that this opportunity came along and I thought, you know what, why not? Let's roll the dice. Let's see what, let's see what comes of it. I'll, at the very least, I'll have some funny stories to tell afterwards. Um, but yeah, no, this wasn't, and that that's, you know, honestly, this probably attributes a lot to, you know, whatever level of success I had there, because when it's not your dream job, there's a little less pressure to, right. you know, to succeed because it's right. like, all right, well, the worst that can happen is I get fired and go back to this sitcom writing career, which I probably should have never left in the first place. So right. pressure is kind of off as far as that's concerned. Mm-hmm. Pressure is on as far as, you know, making sure you know, I don't piss off the undertaker or something as far as, like, the career part of it. Um, you know, that's all good. Well, Brian, you wrote your book, which I got an advanced copy of, and it's one of my favorite books already. I have to be honest Thank with you. you. Treat every day. Like it's your first day on the job. Even if it's not, who gave you that advice? So that's a classic Vincism. Um, and you know, the, the meaning behind that is, don't be so set in your ways in which you're like, yeah, no, that didn't, we're not going to do that because that's just not what we do. You know, the, the, you know, and not to say that we always, you know, from the top on down took that our own advice. Um, <laughs> right. Plenty of times I was like, well, wait a minute. First day on the job. I was like, Michael Hayes would be the first day on the job, you know, like <laughs> when trying to push an idea, but, um, but yeah, that, that was the, the message behind it is that like, just because, something has worked in the past and something that, um, you know, that you're used to and in your comfort zone, don't, you know, treat it like it's your first day on the job, like where anything can happen and any possibility is attainable. 
you know, and you're in and, and you're throwing stuff out there that you never, you know, would have necessarily have thought of before. I mean, I got to say, like my first year in the company in a lot of respects was one of my favorites, if not the favorite, because I hadn't, you know, I, I was coming in as a you know 26 year old fan and being like, well, look, yes, to all the people who are saying he doesn't know the business. You're right. I don't know the business, but I paid for a ticket recently I know <laughs> right. what I like and I can't think I'm an anomaly. I know what all my f- friends like. Um, so from that fan perspective, uh, I'm going to pitch stuff that I think fellow fans would enjoy. And, you know, you mm-hmm. got a lot of, uh, to have a lot of leeway that way. Mm-hmm. Psst, hey, go to geico.com. Pass it on. All right, Brian, was there someone on the staff you enjoy- enjoyed writing with the most? Um, in terms of another writer or yeah. a writer? You know, it's it's interesting because you're there's a lot of isolation in writing. Like when we when we would write stuff, especially at TV, um, you know, very, very rarely would we tag team uh and have like two writers assigned to a promo. Um, I think that it's done actually more now a little bit because there's so many people. But back right. then it was just basically you. Um occasionally, um, you know, you would do that, especially <laughs> especially when we thought there might be heat afterwards and we're like, well, if we team up, at least we split the heat, you know, (laughs) if we get yelled at, then it's a little less daunting than if it's just you. So Bruce Pritchard and I would team up sometimes on vignettes. And I love working with Bruce. I love working with Ed Kosky. Uh, You know, I love working, you know, and some of these names people know, some of them don't, Uh, you know, Ryan Ward, Dave Kapoor, uh, Jen Bloodsworth, you know, we would have a ton of fun just on the road and writing like during the week, you know, when you're writing um, and and coming up with stuff, then it's more of a team environment and you're working together. Um, but when you're actually writing the individual promos and individual, you know, scripts and that kind of thing, it was just usually me in my apartment, you know, taking a draft that someone else had given me. And now I'm going through it myself. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'm sending it out 9.30 p.m. Saturday. I'm leaving for TV tomorrow. But there's at least three hours before I fall asleep. So here we go. The weekend <laughs> starts now. Mm. Well, Brian, who was your favorite talent to write for? And why was it me? <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, Kurt, you know, obviously, you know, you know, you're one of my favorite talents to write. for. I know. I know you have a couple of other ones too. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, and I've said this before, in some circles, like to be a writer at WWE, especially, and again, I can only speak from my time because all of a sudden I look up at the calendar and, and seven years have passed since I was writing and, and and 10 years have passed since I was there full, full time, you know, because the last three years of my uh, tenure there was as a part-time, you know, creative consultant uh, while I was working for seven bucks as well. So when you're there, you all of a sudden gravitate towards people that you are comfortable with have gotten success, you know, with, and you want to work with them over and over again. So it's kind of like an agent, not a wrestling agent, like Pat or Michael agent, but like a Hollywood agent, as far as your clients, like, so my clientele, uh, you know, I was happy to, you know, I've got Kurt Angle, I've got The Rock, I've got Edge and Christian, I've got Chris Jericho, I've got Mm -hmm. Booker T and Goldust. And, you know, as you know, sometimes, you know, you work like, sometimes you're, you're, you're the writer of the vignette and sometimes someone else's, but, you know, during my time, you know, working with Trish and with Mickey James um, and with the hurricane, 
Um, you know, and, and, but, but, you know, like the, the really like the fun times is actually when you work with someone that you don't normally work with, you know, and it, cause it was the anniversary of this, you know, a few weeks ago, someone posted the clip of this promo with rock and Eddie Guerrero. And I remember working with Eddie on that promo and I didn't normally work with Eddie all that much. There was another writer who was, he was Eddie's agent as far as like, right, you know, right. he was on his list. Um, but you know, during that time, it was like, you don't really think about it at the time, but it's like, wow, I worked with the great Eddie Guerrero and a, and a promo segment with the rock. And then they had a match that was like off the charts. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there are also times where you're like, you're writing stuff. Like when I'm writing this, the, the outline and the script for the show, you know, I'm writing all the stuff like evolution and, and Batista and triple H and flair and Orton and everything. I might not do their promo segment, which although I did do plenty of their promo segments, um, but you're actually, you know, you are working on stuff and that's, you know, again, going back to wrestlers court, that's what got me in trouble because it wasn't seen as, oh, this is someone who is working with people that he's friends and friendly with and is being, you know, comfortable in a comfort zone. It's, well, why is he working with these people and not me and not mm-hmm. anyone else? What the hell's his problem? Do you think he's better than me? You know, hey, that- Brian, it- and not to cut you off, but isn't yeah. that part of the reason why you went to wrestler's court? Yeah, then no, that's totally the reason. You know, okay. uh, yeah. on, on the surface, it was, you know, the, the charge was accepting, um, you know, payola in the form of a flash action figure uh, from Edge, who had gotten it at a signing in a comic book store that he was at. And he gave it to me because, um, you know, who doesn't like the Scarlet Speedster? But the, uh, but the but the message behind the message, the real reason was, you know, a, a lot of things. Partly, yeah, like if this guy is supposedly so good and, and or even if you don't think he's good, it has this power, uh, you know, of the pencil, so to speak, you know, sitting next to Vince McMahon in production meetings and all that. And where's my promo? How come he doesn't? right for me how come he doesn't talk to me how come he's mm-hmm. i see him joking around with kurt and edge and christian and everything and jericho and rock but you know i get a little hello nod and by the way that's totally right i get it at the time i didn't get it but i do understand like you know you need and that's one of the reasons why i think you know when when the brand split in 2002 and all of quote unquote my clientele was on Smack, Went to the other show <laughs> yeah it's yeah. put me on raw with People that I normally never worked with, like, you know, Stone Cold. No, you know how pissed we were, Brian? We were so <laughs> pissed off. You weren't our writer anymore. I would, well, at the very least, I, I got to go to the TVs, you know, if you recall. So I got to be there day of. Um, and we got to do some great things, you know, like the, the Wayne's World <laughs> ripoff with the signs and you and Edge. <laughs> yeah. you know, that was on SmackDown and I got to do it there. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, during the week, I wasn't it wasn't until just that one day, one day out of the seven uh, yeah. that I could write on SmackDown. So, yeah, that was jarring. Uh, but but I understand the intent behind it for sure. Well, listen, you mentioned it. You got to work with Kurt and Rock, Edge, Jericho, so many was it intimidating for you writing for some of the biggest stars and having to do it all under the umbrella of Vince McMahon? You know, it's one of the reasons, and again, it's like an, another reason why there's a rumor going around that they don't want fans to be writers, which again is not true. They want fans who are fans of the product to be writers. What they don't want is people getting starstruck and getting like, you know, 
you know, oh my God, working out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the undertaker. I'm going to work and looking for autographs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, in that environment from, from like a personal, like, you know, uh, I'm going to see Bubba Dudley, you know, we'll accept, you know, there, there's a, like a little part of that, but you know, ultimately you got to put on a face and, you know, have a strong exterior, even if the interior is kind of like freaking out a little bit, but it was never out of starstruckness. The only time I was ever like truly starstruck was, was working with Roddy Piper because he was my hero, you know, as a kid and everything, Um, you know, in the business in terms of Vince and and all that, it's like, you're, you're going to sink pretty quickly if you get like, like too, you know, glassy eyed and, and, and starstruck and all that and intimidated as far as like, look at this huge star that I'm working with, because once you're in the locker room and you see, you know, the, the veneer is, is, you know, everything is kind of stripped down. You're like, of course you're working with them so often. These are just people. These are people, human beings, normal everyday people that have lives and family and feelings and everything else. So yeah, that, that kind of, for me, it, 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 you know, that, that dropped pretty quickly, um, you know, and, and bear off for it. Hey, were you scared when Shane McMahon had you and the other writers emulate the talent and take a bump in the ring? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I get into that, you know, definitely in the book, you know, Shane, as we all know, we love Shane. Um, Shane's one of the greatest people I've, I've ever encountered in my life. He, he really is. You're right. Um, so cool. And, you know, one of the knocks on, on writers, of course, is like, how can you possibly write these, you know, book these matches, write these promos when you've never taken a bump in your life? You know, fair criticism. You know, you've never taken a bump. How the hell do you know what it's like? And even worse, like, how do you, you know, propose a, a, you know, a steel cage match or a ladder match or, you know, any, any type of false count anywhere. Like when you have no appreciation for the pain and and sacrifice and everything that it takes doing a bump. And on one hand, that's a very, very fair criticism. On the other hand, it's like, well, because that's not, it's not my job to take bumps. (laughs) It was not in the job description. It wasn't like how many bumps have you taken and filling out my form for HR. So (laughs) Shane being Shane, you know, wants to kind of, he wants to be able to have the writers like, you know, at least appreciate what it's like to take a bump, you know? And again, none of this stuff, I don't think would be passable in today because someone can oh, get no liabilities up the ass. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not a chance. But mm. he was like, yeah, there was, we were working at the studio in Stanford. There were two buildings in Stanford. Um, the studio where all the TV production was and the, the corporate Titan tower. We were at the studio at the time. Eventually we moved, but there was a ring in there. So Shane was like, let's get everyone in the ring and start taking bumps. And he was showing us very, very basic stuff, but for a non wrestler, enormous stuff like doing flat backs running the ropes you know doing like at least you know with a stopwatch at least like two minutes drills and that kind of thing and again there were four of us at the time um so it wasn't like a huge staff but i got i blew up kurt i got winded probably at the 46 second mark (laughs) like and i was probably the youngest of the four too and it was ridiculous i'm like i'm nauseous um, I had to take a seat on the side as, as people much older than me were going through, you know, taking the bumps and doing it. 
I'm like, man, even running the ropes is hard. Like this, none of this. <laughs> right. So Shane's plan actually worked because we definitely did get a bigger appreciation. But then, yeah, infamously, one night in Baltimore, we were snowed in. And it was only really one of the only times ever that, you know, um, the show was just flat out canceled. canceled. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everyone was kind of this was before we got the call that the show was canceled. It was still in the is the blizzard going to affect us or not? And all of a sudden I see Shane kind of picking up Tommy Blacha to do a suplex. And I'm like, uh oh, uh, I I need to get out of here and fast. <laughs> and that's when uh, you know I heard Shane call my name, like Brian, get in the ring, let's take a bump, you know. And now you know all the other wrestlers slowly turning, like, oh, this should be good. Um, this <laughs> pre cell phone era, you know, there's no video, there's no like, and, and thankful. Actually, I'm kind of regretful that there isn't because you know at this point you have no choice but to take it. So right. I took the bump. It was it was a Dudley power bomb off the second rope with Devon putting me up into Bubba's arms. Good Lord. Bubba on the second rope. That's a rough bump, right? Yeah, man. That's no body slam. Like, not that that's not, you know, a walk in the park yeah. either. But like, yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, um, that's a big one. And Shane screaming, tuck your head in, like right as we're taking off. Um, but, you know, they're they're. <laughs> As, as any heat I would have had, it's like, you know, when you guys are working, when you're working with someone that you don't necessarily get along with personally, like mm-hmm. in the ring, you're putting your trust in them. So, you know, there's a level of professionalism that just has to happen. And right. I think Bubba's ass took the majority of that bump. He definitely, <laughs> right. You know, he was no one. He protected to- you. He protected yeah. you. Yeah. 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 But I got to say, it was pretty exhilarating afterwards. I really felt like a world conqueror. And then I was <laughs> like, and I'm never doing it. <laughs> Oh, let me spell it out for you. That's G E I C O.com. That's Geico.com. Listen, as you're talking about that though, Brian, I'm sure the wrestlers had to be appreciative that you weren't a wrestler because your background, what you brought to the table in terms of writing comedy and working with sitcoms and things of that nature really helped evolve a lot of these guys in terms of their character development. So I'm sure kind of that, yeah, he, you know, you weren't a wrestler, but thank God you weren't because what you were able to do for them as characters really helped take them to the next level. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, that was, that was what I was there to do. You know, like the, the writer, there wasn't this like level of autonomy that there is in like dramas and sitcoms and the showrunner is basically showrunner is basically Vince in this case. Um, you know, as the writer, you, you even whatever ladder, whatever rung you are on the ladder, you're there to help the talent get over. That's the bottom line. And, you know, what you could bring to the table, that's what you're there for. Like some people um, have great promo skills. Some people are better long-term storytellers. Some people are great, you know, on the page um, and not necessarily, you know, interacting with people, but everyone brings a little something. Some people like work with the, with the women's division better, you know, just like, like producers and like, like Fit Finley and WWE, Um, you know, some people like, are really into the undertaker Kane storyline and work with them better and gravitate to them better. You know, I gravitated towards, you know, the stuff that I found entertaining as a kid, I found Roddy to be really, really funny and also ticket selling, you know, yeah. that's that fine line, that balance that you have to have. Um, I loved Owen Hart and Bob Backlund, Mr. Bob Backlund, heel Bob Backlund, uh, as Kurt knows much to his detriment, <laughs> because I was so obsessed with Bob Backlund. I'm like, we got to bring him back, make him Kurt. We Jack. brought him back. Yes. <laughs> To the point where it was like, uh, 
Yeah, it's like, uh, what, what, and what are we doing this week? I'll tell you what we're fucking doing. Kurt's going to put him in the chicken wing and we're never going to see him again. <laughs> like, all right, well, I thought he was awesome, you know. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's definitely, you know, sometimes it takes some time to to be able to, you know, put forth your best skill set, you know, sure. in that WWE environment. Um, you know, again, when I started, there being only two writers for the entire show, um, it was a lot easier to, you know, oh, this person brings that to the table because you're not in a sea of 30 or 25 or however many there are now. It's much easier to stand out when you're winning two. Um, but, you know, that that helped. And that like uh, I got to say, too, I want to just like, you know, on a quick side note, um, there's always this fine line of. And I think, um, you know, I think the comparison in the book was like. Like when Harry met Sally, you know, the, the proverbial men and women can't be friends because the sex gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Writers and WWE stars can't be friends because the will they put me on TV or not gets in the way. Um, and that was a whole. Mm-hmm. And that was not something I believed, though, because I'm like, no, these people. You know, I was told, you know, all the people, all the people you're buddies with, they're working you. They're working you because they want to get on TV. And I'm like, wow. I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm like really get along famously with these people to the point where, as Kurt knows, Kurt was my go-to in the outside. world. Like I had misgivings, like, should I go to my 10th year anniversary, uh, high school reunion? I don't know if you remember this, Kurt, like I was hemming and hawing. I was like Cameron and Ferris Bueller. Like, should I go? Should I not go? I had just like (laughs) dyed my hair blue during that's a whole other story during a period of time. And I called Kurt. And I'm like, what should I do? And Kurt's like, Brian, you got to go. You're one of the big <laughs> right. shots in WWE. You're one of like the top writers there. You got to tell these people exactly what you do. In fact, I'm not getting off the phone with you until you get out of your apartment and march to that reunion. You know, because in the city, I was living in the city. And by the time I was off the phone with Kurt, I was like, yeah, okay. And I did it. And then, then Kurt, I, I don't know if this is in the book too, but I don't know if you remember, but like I had an incident on the streets in New York where somebody headbutted me in the face. Um, and it was a whole thing. Again, it's written in the book, but like someone sideswiped me on the sidewalk and on a bike. And I had my giant headphones on and it was in the rain. I was two blocks from my apartment. I was holding groceries. So I just, you know, again, not thinking, just went, what the fuck? <laughs> and guy stopped. I got out. I'm like, uh-oh. And he's like, you call me a fuck? You calling me? And I'm like trying to like, no, it's semantics. But I was exclaiming, what the fuck is more of a <laughs> surprise thing than a. And then he's like, boom, just head. Oh, my right. God. And then he's like, I'm packing. Don't you know I'm packing? And it's again, like goes full curb. Like, I didn't know you were packing. How am I supposed to know you're packing? And gets on his bike. Sounds like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, totally. And he gets on his bike and takes off. And I'm like, Mm. and of course, as you know, any true New Yorker, nobody's stopping to help or say, hey, you just keep walking. And I was two blocks away. I got home. I put my groceries away, you know, obviously perishables and whatnot. (laughs) And what did I do? I called Kurt. And I called Kurt. I'm just like a babbling lunatic. Like, Kurt, this guy got on the phone and what the fuck? And he headbutted me. I'm like, and then like, Kurt, you know, I don't get it. Kurt, I don't remember this, but you basically said, all right, all right, Brian, calm down. Just calm down. All right. Are you calm? I'm like, yeah, great. 
you need to go after him. <laughs> like you need, this is your hometown. This happened two blocks away. You need to go outside, see if he's there and go after him. Oh and again, I was so on adrenaline. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go after him. And like, I put the away. I go outside of he's long gone. Way gone. But I like, I got out there and I was just like, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Keep pedaling, buddy. And then I'm like, yeah, like that advice, like that going out there as fruitless as it was really, really was helpful. I was able to like, you know, feel good about myself. Let off some steam, right? Yeah. <laughs> All because of Kurt Angle. You were like, you know, and, and that's not, you're not telling me that so you can get on TV or anything. Right, right. We stuff. were friends. We were really yeah. good friends. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's why I don't, um, you know, necessarily subscribe to that theory. <laughs> hey, Brian, besides you, we have to admit this. Vince Russo is the most infamous WWE, WWE writer, in my opinion. What did you think of Russo's work? Uh, I thought I, I was a huge fan of the Attitude Era pre me getting there. I thought his work was great. Um, it was, you know, it was like the type of stuff that was on the show. Um, it did, you know, not just for me, but for millions of people. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, calling friends while Raw was on. Oh, my God, you see, Vince is going to step into the ring now. All that type of thing. Um, you know, I was hooked as anything to all the this is your life and, and all the classic moments that you see on, uh, you know, with Stone Cold and DX and everything else. You know, Vince Russo is probably the reason why we're having this conversation right now, to be honest, it was his departure um, that opened the door for me to come in. You know, if he doesn't leave WWF uh, in 1999, as he and Ed did, Ed Farrar did, um, there's no way I'd ever come because I was, I interviewed with him and Ed, you know, in the summer of 99, they don't remember it, um, Mm -hmm. nor should they, because it was a very uneventful interview, but (laughs) interviewed with uh, HR and Russo and Ferrara, who were just coming off of a TV, and I was asking dumb questions like, hey, do you think we could splinter any characters off into a sitcom? Like, none of the stuff you're supposed to be asking if you're trying to get a right. job getting team. Uh, and then Shane McMahon and then Vince McMahon all in one day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, look, there's a chapter in the book, as you know, of his return, which I kind of felt like a need to put in there, not as a burial or anything like that. But I just yeah. heard, you know, his version of it, which is slightly different than mine so many times that I'm like, you know what, here's another perspective. Um, this is right. my perspective of, of what happened that day, but you know, I don't have any like heat with him or anything like that. I thought, you know, um, I thought he, he and Ed Ferrara, I mean, again, I don't know, like, you know, specifically how hands-on, you know, I know there's a lot of debate, you know, in terms of what Vince filtered, what he didn't filter. I'm always of the belief that, that Vince, you know, had a lot to do with a lot of Vince McMahon had a lot to do with everything that went on his TV show, but that's not to right. discount what those guys did. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. I thought they did great work. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think um, there was, there was one other point I was going to make. I, I, I don't know, like, um, you know, necessarily the, uh, I, you know, philosophically uh, I never thought that writers should be recognized on TV as, as characters um, you know, which I think, you know, that's what they did in WCW at first is like the powers yeah. that be and behind yeah. the scenes and all that. And later on TV, I always thought there should be a line in the sand as far as right. like, I don't, want to, I don't, I don't want to ever hear the word writer on a fictional show that I'm watching because, right. 
that means like, okay, so what I'm supposed to be suspending my disbelief and just watching, um, you know, I I don't want to know that this is scripted or written, um, you know, so the work in WCW while never boring is certainly, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the stuff that, you know, I would do as a writer nor, you know, gravitate to completely as a fan. Some stuff was cool, but some stuff, you know, left me kind of scratching my head, but, you know, as far as his work in WWE, I thought it was, you know, legendary. Guys, Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. After all, who doesn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all the things in your life, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV, even help with homeowners, condo, or renter's coverage. You could save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use Geico mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And choosing to switch to Geico becomes an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. All right, Brian, it's just the three of us talking here, so you can be as open and transparent as possible. Was there someone you absolutely absolutely hated working with? (laughs) (laughs) Um. It's a good question. I, I, you know, I really, there wasn't anyone I hated working with. Um, you know, I, there's a, there's a, there's a whole chapter and, and Kurt knows this cause he lived this where, you know, Paul Heyman and I were like the sheepdog and coyote in the Warner brothers cartoons where we were just constantly, you know, like this heads. Yeah. Yeah clashing, but then checking out at the end of the day and like, all right, same time tomorrow. Yep. See you tomorrow. You know, that type of thing. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of professional um, rivalry, I guess, between the two of us. Um, And it didn't always necessarily make for easy days at work. There's a lot of, uh, you know, jack in the box espionage going on sometimes. (laughs) Has left the call like someone left one of our raw calls and then, all right, head count. Who's all here? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Uh. And who the hell was on the call just now? You know, who <laughs> that, that ended up being Paul, and you know, again, Paul being Paul, it was like, um, no, 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 I, I had my phone on, uh, you know, so I could know when the SmackDown one started, um, you know, but it's like, well, but how would you know that if you're not listening in on it? And it's like, oh, well, it was my phone, but but I didn't, talk, you know, like all these type of excuses. But the best one right. is Paul and I get along great now, and I love seeing him, and I love watching him on TV and doing his stuff with Roman. But, um, you know, the best excuse I think was I did, I swear to you on, on, on my life, I did not listen in on that call. I did listen on several other ones that you don't even know. About, <laughs> but not that one um, so yeah, there was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, growing pains a little bit. Um, you know, we infamously, you know, again, I write about it in the book, I won't get into too much detail, but, but something precipitated. Uh, a bit of a, well, I can't call it a fight in front of Kurt Angle because it is not a a true fight. <laughs> but something that led us getting suspended for a week, you know, in WWE, which I don't think ever happened in terms of before that or afterwards, in terms of writers getting an in you know week suspension uh, due to their their petty ridiculousness. Um, so never yeah. happened any other time, Brian. No, no. <laughs> And of course, you know, I'm not, I'm no angel in any of this, you know, I, what I would do was 
like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that that Paul is on the air as a character. So I could have baby faces make fun of him, but put my personal, you know, like I'm pissed off at Paul. I'm going to have the baby face say this about him, you know, on the air type, <laughs> which is like, and I, I used to do that with Vince as well. Whenever we'd get into a spat, it's like, he was a oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, that's like my secret therapeutic, you know, way of doing things. Um, but again, that was like, I look back at that actually fondly because it was like, it's such, it was such a great, true rivalry. Um, and, and, you know, again, I think Paul kind of thrived on it too. As he always said, we were kind of meant to butt heads and put, you know, together. Um, but it really did bring out a lot of good as well as a lot of, you know, I don't know if the McMahons would agree as far as a lot of good, but I thought it brought out a lot of good because it was a lot of like, I want this show to be better than this show, you know, type of thing. Right. Right. Well, Brian, what was your favorite long-term and short-term storyline that you wrote? So, um, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've asked about it a lot. Um, you know, for me, uh, the Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels long-term storyline that we did in the mid-2000s was one of my favorites because it was something that, you know, A, from a personal ego standpoint, nobody thought I would be able to do. Like, oh, well, he's the guy with the five-second poses. What's he doing? A serious storyline with Shawn Michaels. Right, Jericho. right. right you know, that, that spans multiple pay-per-views and involves Sean's wife and like truly, truly serious stuff. Um, you know, I was able to collaborate with Sean and, and who I wasn't close to really prior to that angle. Um, and Chris, who I was, um, you know, and Michael Hayes on the action and everything. Um, and, and really, you know, uh, you know, get in the weeds and, and and truly work on something, you know, that and, and maybe like the slow burn of Batista leaving evolution, you know, on raw are, are things that I was able to contribute to and, and was happy with, you know, short term storylines. Like I have so many great memories of individual, you know, whether it's all the Booker T and gold, gold dust stuff that we did or all the rock concert stuff that we did, or, you know, like, you know, it's funny, like, I, I actually, and this is true. I'm not saying this to, to just like, quote unquote, put myself over, but like after Kurt was hurt and after Steve was hurt, I did propose to Vince the let's keep him on TV and put him together in these backstage vignettes. Brilliant, Brian. Best <laughs> idea you ever had. <laughs> now, I wasn't on hand to produce them because as you know, that was like Vince producing them and sometimes Bruce producing them. But I would like, you know, like outline them out. And obviously Kurt and Steve, you know, had so much input and, and, you know, cause you're not, you don't really, you just let them go. Um, but I was like watching from afar and had, you know, so much fun watching those vignettes go down. It was, you know, yeah, those, those are, that was just magical. And I know there's like a segment of the audience that is like, well, what are these two ticket sellers doing, doing cowboy hats and ridiculous things? <laughs> but neither, both of them were hurt at the time and neither of them right. were so, you know, what do you see? So you don't want them on TV at all or or just like arms folded, just staring and, and shaking their heads. It's like this is an entertainment show. Let's have some entertainment on. And yeah. you know, like Booker T and Goldust, like sometimes you put two people together and it's just magic, you know, from the get go. Yeah. And that's what it was right. with Kurt and Steve. So it was yeah. it was so even though I was, you know, writing it out in an outline form and then seeing, you know, sometimes it would kind of stick to it. Sometimes it went completely different direction. Um right. But it was still so much fun to to watch those things unfold. I mean, it was like not going to work, really. It was just like, <laughs> I can't believe I get to do this. We did have fun, Brian. Yes. 
Hey, hey, and buddy, thanks to you, Kurt Angle still makes money selling cowboy hats on his website. So, <laughs> That's mean. right, Brian. <laughs> yeah, well, the other thing, and it's on the cover of the book too, um, the uh, the the milk truck. The milk truck. Oh, we're getting yes. there. We're getting there. Yeah, oh, like, no doubt you know, about it. The highlights of the invasion. Let's talk about, <laughs> I, I want to find out from you, is there one storyline that you can share with the audience that you think could have been an all-time big one that never got approved? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was, I was asked this question a bunch of times and every time I was like, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there, there are a lot of great what ifs, you know, I was talking about this the other day. Um, you know, I, I would have, I would have loved to have seen, you know, Booker uh, become champion when he fought triple H uh, at WrestleMania 19. I thought there was like a lot of, you know, Booker, I'd obviously worked with Booker on the comedic stuff uh, with Goldust, but the, you know, Booker had a similar track as with Kurt, as far as like, obviously did huge amounts of stuff in WCW and Harlem Heat and everything before then hall of fame level stuff. But, you know, in terms of WWE, he's brought in, you know, is, is like the big foil, you know, for, for Steve at first, and then got to start working with him with, with the rock, uh, with with Booker and Shane, and then all the Booker and Goldust stuff. I mean, that's what I gravitated to during the brand split, and I just thought like it was his time. And uh, you know, there was a lot of reasons why the title change didn't happen. Primarily, uh, well, indirectly because of you, Kurt. Not that you know this, or it's your fault. But you know, the feeling at the time, WrestleMania 19, was no, we have one big title change, and that's Brock Lesnar beating Kurt Angle. You know, and and plus we have all the Mr. McMahon and. Uh, you know uh um hulk hogan stuff so to to then have like a third title change on the show it wouldn't feel as special and it wouldn't feel you know as worthy um but you know you know my feeling was well the more the merrier let's just have a, right. many incredible moments right. i wasn't really tapping into the psychology and i think you could argue either way um mm. but you know that's one of the things you know and then the other thing that i just remembered and and i mentioned it with conrad the other day the the big what if now when I say this, I want to point out that this was discussed for maybe under two minutes in a single writer's meeting with Vince, but in a single meeting in which there were hundreds, if not thousands of meetings. Um, but this was during the the Jindrak to Randy Orton, like who's going to be okay. the first member of evolution period of time. Um, and I do remember, I don't know if it was me who said it, somebody said it, I might have said it was what about that John Cena guy joining evolution? What if, what if we did that? Um, and it was again, tossed about for, a, you know, a couple of minutes. And I think it was deemed that John, um, especially John at that particular time, you know, hadn't really found himself yet. Um, I don't think, I think this was pre wrapping John. Yeah. This was prototype John. Yeah. Yeah. This was, you know, great match with Kurt, but then what John uh, ruthless aggression um, and it was just like, mm, I don't, I don't think so. You know, maybe he's a little too goofy. He just doesn't fit was, was the, you know, kind of like the feedback back then. Yeah. Uh, I also threw out Christian because, because I threw out Christian in literally everything, um, <laughs> usually to Jay's detriment, because it was like, oh my God, can you stop pitching Christian to do this? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, ultimately it was settled on Randy. And again, this isn't like, you know, again, some John Cena was considered for evolution. Like, absolutely. Yes for about 120 seconds and then we moved on to something else you know but it was brought up and it is sure. a very interesting fun kind of fantasy thing to ponder of like 
But what if it wasn't turned down so quickly? What if that actually happened and the chain reaction domino effect, you know, with Randy's career, John's career, everything that would have, uh, you know, come out of that? Everything would have been different, Brian. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, the milk truck segment is my favorite all-time segment <laughs> that I was a part of. Where does it rank for you, Brian? Oh, it's it's way up there. It is. It is. That was so much fun in Sacramento to uh, to to you know have you know like listen. There's a lot of negativity associated with the WCW slash ECW invasion, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is is definitely justified. Um, but there are individual moments that are awesome, and the milk truck segment, you know, which I did throw out um, and was it was approved um, was was up there. I mean, yes, granted. You know, a lot of it, you could say, well, that's not even an original idea. That's just the takeoff of the beer truck segment with Steve. Right, right. Like, but sure. But, you know. That's what made it even more brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because it was against yeah. Steve. You know, it was, yeah, yeah. he was in the ring, you know, I think singing or something, like whatever they were doing. Uh, the invasion. Wind Beneath My Wings. Yes, that's right. Wind Beneath <laughs> My Ring or something. Um, good, good memory. But, yeah, like the fact that Kurt now was a baby face. And it wasn't necessarily like the easiest thing in the world to the character that gelled so well as a heel. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you need that defining moment where people are like, aha, he's my guy now. That's it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that milk truck moment. And I know, Kurt, you know, you had, um, you know, the rib being on you that you had to travel that night with your milk stain <laughs> yeah. uh, clothing and everything on a flight. Um, that was not the intention. I didn't know that. <laughs> the red eye, I had to catch a red eye. My shoes were doused with milk. And uh, two hours into the flight, people are going, what the fuck is that smell? <laughs> I was trapped. so embarrassed. Yeah, I was trying to cover my feet with a blanket. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that angle. That was the gift that keeps on giving that segment. <laughs> yes. You own your own home? Go to Geico.com. Do you rent your own home? Go to Geico.com. Do you have a car? Go to Geico.com. Want to save some money? Go to Geico.com. Well, Brian, how much did the process change from when you first started with the company until you exited? It it changed a lot. You know, it's always constantly changing. Um, And when, you know, when I, again, when I started, two writers fax your ideas to Vince show up at work and see if they use them. Um, you know, that lasted for maybe like three months or so. Um, and then early on too, it was like, Hey, what do we got for SmackDown? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, nothing is the answer. We have literally nothing for SmackDown. We're going to meet in Vince's hotel suite, uh, Tuesday morning, seven thirty AM, uh, and, and get a show written and bring it to, uh, the production meeting that day at noon. Um, so that really, that's a, you know, prove yourself or go home type of environment because you're getting in that meeting and literally Vince would come in and be like, all right, Brian, what do you got? And, you know, it's like, well, I got tired because we were uh, doing raw last night Yeah, Uh, and then we drove to the next town. That's the response you want to say, but that's not the response you can do. You need to wake up an hour early before you meet with Vince, start thinking of ideas definitely be thinking of them on the car ride or the plane ride to the next town. Um, Hey, Brian, let me ask you this. Is that the reason why SmackDown became like the wrestling show? More wrestling action, less storyline? That's a good question. Um, You know, I think if you look at those SmackDowns 
in 2000, 2001, there was still a ton of backstage vignettes and stuff. Yeah. I think it yeah. became like, and maybe I might be wrong. I might be like, confused. I'm talking like 2004 or five and six. I think, you know, I, think like- was, I think there was a product of, you know, Paul's style at the time, you know, in terms of wanting to get, get great matches out and just the sheer amount of, of unbelievable, you know, workers um, and wrestlers uh, that you had at your disposal. It's like, you know, you, you know, the, the infamous SmackDown six. Um, and there were a lot of other great wrestlers there too. Um, it's like an embarrassment of riches. It's a, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, in some respects, it's a lot easier to say, all right, uh, Kurt and Eddie put them on for 25 minutes. And then on the flip side of the show, it's like, all right, well, I guess we could do Scott Steiner versus Triple H arm wrestling, uh, posing. Because uh, <laughs> they're not wrestling like Eddie and Kurt for 25 minutes. So you got to be a little bit more, you have to have a little bit more, uh, you know, different options in that respect. Creativity. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of it, though, had to do with, um, you know, just the talent on the roster at the time. And it was just, again, pure embarrassment of riches. Right. But but hey, to answer the question further, you, you know, yeah. we evolved to the point where more writers were hired. Um, now the benefit of having a script or at least a semblance of a script, even if it was going to change before every show, as opposed to the morning of the show, became the norm, which is which is really beneficial. Um, and then, you know, again, the more things and more writers you have, for better or worse, at least there's more stuff prepared even if it might all change or part of it might change or someone gets hurt that necessitates a rewrite. Um, and then the more things that are prepared, that means more coming into the office and, and meeting with Vince and now triple H and stuff, as far as, you know, getting these ideas approved ahead of time because right. write a script, but if it's not like, you know, stamped with approval sent out, you know, over email over the weekend for people to at least get their eyes on, then, you know, you're kind of wasting your time because it's probably not going to happen. So mm-hmm. it definitely morphed more into a uh, a little bit more of a traditional television show. It's still extremely different than any other television show in the world. Right. But right. it certainly was w- evolved way past the point of like, OK, I'm uh, going to pitch ideas over pancakes and Vince's hotel room. <laughs> hey, was a comedy segment like myself rapping at John Cena or a segment to build a WrestleMania main event your favorite to write? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, favorite to write is is at least early on, it was probably a, a segment like you rapping to John Cena. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's just so much fun. It's so ridiculous. You know, John wrote his own raps, um, you know, but he, you know. And you he, wrote mine. <laughs> yeah. But I was able to like, like, hey, but for this one, you know, you do your thing, but. I want Kurt hugging you and saying that's basic hugonomics, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. There, there, it was, it was a lot is very, very satisfying to write a main event WrestleMania angle. And that should be the answer. Um, right. in ter- and it's, it, there's a lot of pride taken to it. And there's a lot of like, wow, that felt, you know, really, really good to see that come to fruition and, and, and sell tickets and everything. But from pure, a pure guilty pleasure standpoint and just mm-hmm. having just insane, goofy fun, um, I love I love working with you on sexy Kurt and the rap <laughs> yeah. stuff. Some great moments, Brian. I'll never forget them. <laughs> All right, Brian, we're gonna throw out a question to you and see if uh you have some thoughts on this. When you look at the talent from when you started writing until now, okay. So mm-hmm. 
That's that's a long time. What match would you book as a WrestleMania main event with a long-term build? You have the power of the pen. You can do it now. A little fantasy booking for you. What would be your WrestleMania main event? So this isn't, I, I've, I've thought about this. I gave this answer once, um, like a long time ago. I always liked the idea of a Mount Rushmore match. Okay. And what I mean by that is taking four people who are legitimately on the Mount Rushmore of WWE. And I think, you know, in my mind, it was, I think it was rock teaming with Austin against mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan and, and John Cena. Mm-hmm. So rock and Austin versus Hogan and Cena call it a Mount Rushmore match. Good old fashioned, like Mr. T and Hogan and Piper and Orndorff back in the day, tag team match, no titles on the line, nothing like that. Sell the Mount Rushmore shirts, little Mount Rushmore foam hand things with everyone's yes. face on it. You know, it <laughs> do a lot to hype it up. It sells itself. You can cut awesome promos. Again, I don't think physically and, and, and all that type of thing, that's even a possibility now, although who knows? Steve just killed it with, with Owens at, uh, you know, WrestleMania last year. Yes, he did. Um, yeah. You know, but, but yeah, that was always like a guilty pleasure of a, uh, and again, that's not to, you could, there's a lot of interaction and mixing and matching you could do as far as Mount Rushmore, obviously. But um, that was always like a guilty pleasure type thing that I've always kind of had in my head of like, oh, wouldn't that be cool to, uh, you know, yeah. the, the the Mets are uh, having a, uh, you know, the, the term might be derogatory in wrestling, but like an old timers day. Um, and, you know, to me, like they, they used to do it. They don't do it anymore. They just announced the rosters of the people there. And for me, as a fan, to see all these legends one more time in their uniform and everything on the field, I don't even care if the game. I just want to see them in uniform and introduced and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, like that's kind of, and I'm not calling any of the Mount Rushmore people, you know, quote unquote old timers. Um, but you know, that type of attraction that's like only you could dream about. That's always something that, you know, I've thought about in my head. And, and it's tapping into that nostalgia. We we love that yeah. nostalgia feel too. So uh, I love it. And a different, and another retirement match with Kurt where he goes over. I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you, you got go. that a Kurt Angle match in there, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Brian, why did you finish up in WWE? Was it your decision or the company's? So, yeah, I definitely, you know, like one of the things of this book is to be able to, you know, not do like some sort of airing of dirty laundry, but to be able to tell the story as it unfolded and have it be, you know, very truthful and everything. So, you know, there is like the phenomenon of burnout in WWE is real. Um, and it was something that I managed to avoid for a long time, but I definitely did experience it. Um, and there was, you know, to answer the question, the answer, the short answer is both. Um, the, the long answer, which again is kind of, you know, detailed in, in the book and everything was, you know, it just had reached a point to me where the passion was gone. The fire was gone and Vince and, and anyone in the company can, can sense that better than anyone. Mm. Um, you know, I tried to alleviate that a little bit by taking myself off the road and establishing a home team and away team for the writers and everything. But that kind of backfired because if you're not at TV and in the trenches, you know, theater of the mind is like, well, what the hell are they doing over there? You know, it's like, we're working hard, actually harder and writing the show and everything. It's like, uh, it's, uh, it's not good. So yeah, it came, it came to a culmination. And fortunately um, you know, at the same time, Dwayne uh, Johnson and Danny Garcia were reaching out to me to uh, you know, engage my interest in joining, you know, their production company, Seven Bucks Production. 
So, you know, there was a, there was a tipping point in 2012 um, where I had a big, big fight with Vince and we were, you know, not on uh, good terms again, against, you know, <laughs> I didn't really hold anything back. I just, you know, told it like it was. Um, and I was given a choice basically of like, you know, you could, you could leave if you want to, um, because it seems like you want to, uh, you know, with a severance and blah, blah, blah. Or if you prefer, you could stay on, be a creative consultant part-time. Um, and I was like, well, if I did that, would I also be allowed to work part-time for seven bucks and do both? Um, because that's, would be the ultimate. And they were like, yeah, you could do that. So it was like, perfect. So, you know, all these things that were coming out, like, you know, go where it's fired and like all these you know, <laughs> screaming, I want results or I want resignations. And I'm like, well, damn, that's a good line. He never <laughs> said that. Like literally nobody said that, but it's a good line. Um, you know, and then I was able to, you know, it's like, well, he'll be there until his contract runs out. Well, you know, I was at an at will contract, which means I could quit anytime. They could fire me anytime. So there was no time limit. Um, you know, and I just did that until, you know, seven bucks productions. It was, it got to the point where, um, you know, Dwayne called me and said like, listen, we'd love you to come full time now. It's time. Are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, I have, I have been ready. I am ready. Let's do it. So, you know, and that culminated in, uh, you know, my last show being in July of 2015. Um, and ironically, like a perfect bow. Uh, at the MCI Center on the very show that I couldn't, you know. Uh, ah, your first and last show. <laughs> yeah, first and last show in the same arena. Um, yeah. um, and that's how it all wrapped up. Did you forget yet? Come on, geico.com. Brian, I got to ask. So you, you transition, you, you moved apart time, you talk about your last show. Was there anything else left on the table for you at this point? Was there anything more that you still wanted to do uh, in the wrestling business? You know, really, no, um, as far as the television shows and the, um, you know, what I had done, because as you know, um, you know, whether you're a writer, whether you're a wrestler, like one year in WWE, in wrestling in general, is almost like five years in the real world, um, you know, as far as just the wear and tear and travel and just, you know, being on call all the time. So I really did feel like I had done it all. The only thing, you know, that I truly wanted to do um you know, and that's not part of the, this is something I could technically still do. Um, you know, at, at a certain point I took a, I took three months off in, in 2005 to write a film for WWE films. It was something that like Vince let me do and Steph it was very cool. It was unlike any other, again, I get into it in the book too. It was, it was a Eugene origin movie. Um, it was the only movie at the time that like was actually taking a WWE character and having him be, a WWE character in the film, uh, which is something I thought we should have been doing, um, as opposed to like there was a, just a lot of a lot of angry bikers, you know, and someone getting cast out and their girlfriend gets kidnapped and he has to go save them. There was a lot of those movies at the time. So Eugene movie was was going to be like a Pee Wee's Big Adventure, um, <laughs> quite a departure. And and the funny thing about it, again, it's Kurt intersecting with my life every uh, every few months was I go off and write this thing. I'd never written a film before. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's funny. I think it's a good, you know, uh, you know, funny movie and everything. And I'm putting my finishing touches on it. And this is around SummerSlam of 2005. I'm really proud of it. And then I'm like, literally the day I finished the first draft of the script, 
it was Eugene versus Kurt Angle at SummerSlam. And if we recall, Eugene got booed the fuck out of the building. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he was the baby face. Everybody was cheering for Kurt, who was the heel. And I'm like, no, my movie. You got to <laughs> cheering for him. He's supposed to be a baby face. <laughs> you know, and, you know, ultimately the, uh, you know, the, for a variety of reasons, the movie didn't happen. But part of it was because, you know, we had burned up Eugene. Nick Binsmore is so talented, you know, and we had used him like, he was on live events three, four times throughout the night. I remember it was the writers would go to live event loops, you know, every three months or so. And it's like, guys, why are you using Eugene so much? He's, he's over. Well, but yeah, but we want to keep him over. Um, so yeah, that like, I think by the time that finish, that script was finished and that match with Kurt happened, like the audience itself themselves were like, we, uh, we are over this character. <laughs> so overexposure, yeah. Brian. Yeah. So Kurt with one ankle lock uh, put a kibosh on that script. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> hey, Brian, do you have any great Vince on the plane stories that you kept out of the book you can share with us? Huh. That I kept out of the book. Yeah. Uh, You're on the plane with Vince quite a bit. I was on. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, look, like this book is one of those things where, like, I had the mindset of, I'm only getting one shot at this. I don't see like a, a series of uh, books coming out. So I want to put like all the best memories and best stuff. You know, I want to pack it all in. So like, yeah, I, I, th I think, you know, this is cheating a little bit because this is in the book. But, you know, Vince, uh, you know, one of the rules, you just got to realize that it's a rule is uh, like like you, like me, a normal human being. uh I used to get on planes, especially late at night and fall asleep because, you know, people do that on planes in your book. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that you're not allowed to sleep on the Vince plane. Um, the only time you're allowed to sleep is when uh, Vince falls asleep. Yeah, Vince. And that was to, actually, this isn't in the book. This was taken to such an extreme once that I remember in 2000, there was a cross country flight. Because uh, they blast this music a lot, you know, before, you know, well, after the show, Kid Rock and and and, and that type of thing. Um, and there was a flight where Vince uh, and Kevin, Dun they weren't even on it, uh, but they still blasted the music. The <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing? Like, this is this is what we need to do. We have to have the music that was specific order. I think it was a rib on me because I finally wanted to sleep on a plane. <laughs> but, you know, when I the one time I did fall asleep. Um, you know, when, when, like, like Vince is kind of a kid in a candy store when, when, when somebody falls asleep on his plane, uh -huh. whether it's like throwing stuff at him or again, it's all good natured. But like, for me, he got up and he got like, like Sigourney Weaver in aliens, like the alien is like an inch from <laughs> space. And he just screamed my name as loud as humanly possible. And I did one of those like Charlie Brown after the baseball line drive gets hit and backwards somersault. <laughs> Um, and you know, he had a good laugh about it. And, you know, to this day, I fall asleep on trains quite, quite quickly in cars. Um, but I cannot sleep on planes because of that incident. Hey, I got to ask, would you ever go back to writing for a professional wrestling company? <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing as Kurt knows very, very well. Um, 
there's a standard answer for that question. Anything when it comes That's to the true. wrestling business, uh, you know, the three magical words, never say never. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any intention on it. I feel like, you know, I've done it. Uh, I'd like to think I've done it well. And I had a lot of fun doing it, a lot of ups and downs, but mainly it was, you know, pretty much a blast. I love what I'm doing now, um, you know, creating and pitching television shows, uh, unscripted, scripted, drama, comedies, docuseries, um, you know, for for Dwayne and Danny, Seven Bucks Productions. So like this is like really, you know, it, it, it was not something that I, you know, thought would happen uh, being wanting to be a writer, but I'm glad it did. So, yeah, I don't really have any plans on it, but, you know, like they say. Never say never. Hey, did you go to Geico yet? Get a quick quote and see how much you can save for free at geico.com. So, Brian, The Rock is obviously the biggest star to come out of wrestling, and it's probably the biggest movie star. He is the biggest movie star. Let's let's not mince words here right now. How has he changed, if at all, over the years since you've met him? Really not much, honestly. Like, And Kirk could attest to this, too. Yeah. He's, he's always been the same guy. You know, the the hungry slash humble, um, you know, that's not just like a moniker. That's that's real. You know, his his yeah, amb- very down to earth. You're absolutely yeah. right. Brian. Like his ambition and, and like stuff that he wants to accomplish is huge. But, you know, from a just a human being standpoint, he's very, very grounded in reality. You know, the, the quote that he uses a lot is it's nice to be important. It's more important to be nice. Um, and it's true. Uh, it's true, Kurt. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but yeah, it's like, it, it's really, you know, and, and Kurt's the same way as well as from when we all knew each other in 1999, it's like been through a hell of a lot of things and a lot of ups and downs and successes and what have you. But essentially at the end of the day, um, you know, the same grounded person, which is, I think, pretty awesome. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> hey, Brian, you're active on Twitter. And when you're not talking about the New York Mets, you're discussing the WWE. Why do you still follow the product? Um, you know, it's it's kind of like once, as you know, it's like when you're WWE, when you're in that business, it's hard to just leave it cold turkey. You know, uh, it's, it's always going to be a part of you, especially when you've been there. Both of us have been there as, so, as long as we have. Um, because now you're watching a show and it's not just another show on television. It's a show that you have friends who are literally on, on the television. I'm, I'm turning to look at my television, even though I just realized that doesn't make any sense within the context of the zoom, but you know, you have friends who are writing it. You have friends who are producing it. You have friends who are (laughs) forming in it. Um, it's like, you know, you want to kind of see, like, you're still, there's a part of me that's still the fan who watched. Cindy Lauper gets stalked by Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper in 1985 on MTV. You know, it's like, you want, I want to, I didn't leave on bad terms. I left on good terms. I come back whenever the rock comes back. Um, and it's fun, you know, now granted, if there's an important Mets, Knicks, Bills or Syracuse game, um, I might watch the highlights on Twitter or, or social media or YouTube or something. But, you know, <laughs> if, uh, if I'm available to watch it, uh, for sure, I'll definitely watch it and probably try to make a wise ass comment about it. Well, listen, whether you own or rent, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Go to geico.com today. Brian, we're here. We're talking about the book. How did the idea of the book come to be? And please fill in our audience how they can purchase this amazing book. Oh, thank you. Um, You know, this is just something that was a little bit of a culmination of like telling story. You know, 
like I've, I've always said this, like if you don't have enough stories for a book after working on WWE creative for a decade and a half, then something is definitely wrong. You know um, I've had these, you know, stories <laughs> percolating um, told to people, friends and what have you. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of corresponded, unfortunately, with the pandemic in, in March and April of 2020, when there was really nothing, you know, you were you're at home, uh, you weren't watching sports on TV, you you really there, would, there needed to be a, a way to not only kind of like, get all these stories out, but also take your mind off of what was happening in the world. Um, and that's when I kind of, you know, I had a, some at least comfortableness in terms of stepping out of my comfort zone going on WWE's Ruthless Aggression docuseries. Um, and yeah, we had, you know, talked about various things we could do beyond that WWE and I, but at the end of the day, um, I just thought like I approached Dwayne and Danny about it and was like, what if I just put out a book, you know, and, and, you know, when I explained to them what it would be tonally, you know, in the spirit of like Mick Foley and, and Chris Jericho's books, um, you know, like funny and, and self-deprecating, but true and honest and everything. They thought it was a really good idea. Um, and I write a lot. I want to just point something out. I write a lot about uh, Kurt in the book. Uh, I want to point out that's that's in opposition to when Kurt's book came out and I got all excited about it. And Kurt's like, no, no, you're in it. You're in the book. I'm like, oh, thank you. And then I got the book and here's the paragraph. I'm in one paragraph and Kurt writes, I have been able to take so much creative liberty with my character now. I sometimes don't even have to go to Brian Gewertz, the head writer, to get things approved. I'm like, wow, what a glowing endorsement. Thank you, Kurt. Your victory lap is that you don't have to talk to me anymore. Um, so, no, you, know what, Brian, you know, it's crazy. I didn't make a move without you. So I don't <laughs> know why I said that. <laughs> I know why you said that. I know. I remember you telling me at the time, because this was, again, a much, much different era when the the curtain was still kind of pulled and you were like, sure. I wanted to put you over. I wanted to put you in the book. And I think the notes you were getting at the time was like, all right, it needs to be extremely limited because we don't want to go in that direction, yeah. pulling back the curtain. So I appreciate yeah. the mention, you know, I'm just <laughs> bringing it up to give you shit. I had to get you in it though, Brian. <laughs> yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brian, listen, we are so thrilled that you were able to uh, to join us today. Aren't, aren't we, uh, Kurt, man? This has been great. Oh, yeah. Listen, he's done so much for me in my career. Uh, if there's anybody that had the biggest influence on my life, it's Brian Gwartz. I, I have uh, the utmost respect for him and everything he did for me. Thank you so much, Brian. Oh, man, that, that means a lot, Kurt. And thank you, because I would not have survived I think as we made clear in both WWE and life without you. So thank you for the years of support, collaboration, friendship. It, it was awesome. Um, and, and, Oh, I'm sorry, Paul, to answer your question from before, um, you know, the book is out August 16th. It's available on any outlet, Amazon, Walmart, Target, um, any, you know, your local bookstore, if you, uh, you know, want to go to your, your bookstore and Barnes and Noble and, or, or what have you, it's pretty much available everywhere, which is, uh, kind of surreal, but very, very exciting guys. Check it out. There's just one problem. True tales from the former one time seventh, most powerful person in WWE August 16th. I was telling Brian Kurt that 
It's already number one, the number one new release in wrestler biographies on Amazon. So guys, get it. You can pre-order it now, but it's available August 16th. Man, I am so grateful that you were able to join us today. This has been exciting. I could listen to you tell stories all day. You're hilarious. <laughs> Me and, too, uh, man. Yeah. He's a great storyteller. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And and let's, um, you know, two other quick plug type things. I want to just point out that we have... Uh, our new wrestling show uh, on Vice Tales from the Territories uh, on October 4th and the new season of Young Rock on November 4th. So let's definitely, if you if you have me, let's do this again sometime later this sure. year. And you know what? We'll do it when Kurt's We'd actually love at you, Brian. Yeah, we'll do it when Kurt's actually at his home with stable internet. And it's going to be fantastic. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, so Brian. It's hey, all good. Let- Hey, you're you're good to go, man. We thank you for hanging in there with us today. But thank you so much. You you can go, and I know you got a lot of stuff to do uh, with seven bucks. So thank you for joining us, Kurt. Kurt and I are going to close out the show with some uh, with some other advertisements. See you, Brian. Love you, oh, brother. Thank you. Love you too. I suddenly have this strong desire to get Geico insurance, even though I don't own a car. <laughs> so congratulations on that. Um, thank you guys so much. That's the whole idea, Brian. <laughs> See you, buddy. Thank you. All right, Brian. Bye. Great talking. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Well, Kurt, we're not done yet because if you don't go to Geico yet, then you must not like to save money. I mean, come on. And this is the last time. Go to Geico.com and be eternally grateful that you did. Kurt, next week, we have another special guest. That's right, Nick Aldis. Yes, we do. Man, he's going to talk about his career, his time in TNA. You guys got to know each other there. The NWA wrestling all over the world and his next steps. I know you're excited about having Nick on. I am. Yeah, I actually wanted Nick. That's why I got him here on the show. He's going to be here next week. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, looking forward to talking to Nick. Uh, Before we get out of here as well, we got to run through some of the things that we like to talk about. If you're not on ad-free shows, we talked about it. Conrad just did a special interview with Brian. And if you think, oh, it'll probably be a lot of what you heard today, no. Brian really focused in on his relationship and stories with Kurt. Brian goes into a lot of other stories with Conrad, and it's exclusive to ad-free shows. Go to ad-free shows now. Check it out. I'm telling you. Like I said here, you can listen to them all day. Kurt, then physicallyfit.com. That's the chicken snacks, buddy. That's where they can take advantage of angle pod, that discount code and get those chicken snacks, right? 20% off. Use the code angle pod or you go online on the website and kurtanglebrand.com or physicallyfit.com. I'm sorry. And uh, sign up to be a lifetime member and you get your chicken snacks 20% off forever. Boom. So sign up to be a member. He mentioned it already, KurtAnglebrand.com. He's so excited about that website. That's where you <laughs> can get your cowboy hats that were talked about today. Brian Gewurz was behind that. So check it out. You can get cameo videos, T-shirts, and really help support our Olympic hero. The other thing I wanted to mention is Wildcat Belts. Buddy, they are down to one belt Okay, and we had some questions come in about how do I order? How do I find on the website? It's easy. If you go to their homepage, you'll see a link at the top of the page that says contact us. If you click that contact us link and scroll down halfway, it'll say email us to place your order. It's as simple as that. And there's one belt left. That's right. They are down to one, Kurt. So this is the this is your chance to get a hold of something that Final will not one, be produced the last again. Kurt Angle World Title. 
That's right. So this get is it, it now. the last one. Last one. So get your hands yeah. on it now. And finally, in two weeks, Kurt and I together again, reunited, and it feels so good. We're going to be in Wisconsin, and we're going to be at that minor league baseball game. Kurt's going to throw out the first pitch. Listen, I just saw him walking around Icons of Wrestling, and he can move. Those knees are doing well. <laughs> He's going to throw out that pitch. It's podcast at the plate. You can watch it live there. And Kurt and I are going to be there. Kurt's signing autographs, taking pictures, kissing baby. Oh, I'm just for the fans there. I might even just round the bases one time. Woo! <laughs> so take a take, make sure you're there. Not don't miss it. We're going to let Kurt get out of here. He's got a lot going on. He's a busy freaking man. He's your Olympic hero. On behalf of Kurt Angle, this is Paul Bromwell. What an amazing episode this was. Kurt, thanks for doing this, even on the run. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for being a co-host. You got it, buddy. We'll see you next week right here on The Kurt Angle Show. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.